You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. All right. Who's ready for a Bible study this morning? Okay. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll open God's Word together. Lord, I love the enthusiasm when we get to ask about a Bible study, and that's because it's why we're here this morning. We confess that you are Lord and Savior, that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to be raised from the dead, so that we could have new life. And Lord, we need your word. We need nourishment. We need to be fed. And so this morning, I ask that our hearts, our minds, our ears would be open to understand how you would speak to us through your scriptures. Lord, as an imperfect man, you're calling me to teach a perfect word. So would your spirit be upon me so that I I may rightly divide the word of God this morning. Lord, I thank you for the different stories and backgrounds and circumstances that every person who's walked in today is coming from and how you can meet them right where they are in order to lead them to where we need to be. So would we be open to your voice? Would we be open to what you have for us this morning? Lord, we give you our time and our praise and for your glory and all God's people said... Amen. Well, we have uh, some ushers with Bibles. If you need a Bible, just go ahead and raise your hand. We've got plenty to pass out. It'll be much more interesting and engaging if you can follow along with us in the Scriptures. So you can raise your hands and we'll get you a Bible. Uh, we have been in the Gospel of Matthew doing a series called Unexpected Messiah. And right now we are in a mini-series within the Gospel of Matthew called The Kingdom Parables. And if you're new, I'll catch you up a little bit with where we are. Uh, The Gospel of Matthew, there are four Gospels, are simply the story of Jesus' life on earth. And we have begun with Matthew 1, and we're now all the way towards the end of Matthew chapter 13. And we've looked at everything that's happened in Jesus' life. He was born to Mary and Joseph. He was born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit. He grew up in relative obscurity. From a small town, nobody really knew who he was. Jesus was called to his public ministry when he was 30 years old, in which we see in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, he was baptized by his cousin who was known as John the Baptist. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan, perfectly resisted that temptation and began what's known as his public ministry. He called 12 disciples specifically to himself. These were men who followed Jesus for three years in his public ministry. He did life with them. He did ministry with them. They laughed together. They had deep conversations together. They went through difficult trials and circumstances with one another. And in that time, Jesus came preaching that the kingdom of heaven is here. What the entire Old Testament had been foreshadowing, what the whole Old Testament had been pointing to, had finally arrived in the person, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we see the life of Jesus is more than just mere words. 
He does miracles, signs and wonders. He raises the dead. He heals the sick, the blind, the lame. He casts out demons. He shows that he has control over the forces of nature by calming the sea. And many people started saying to themselves, is this the promised Messiah? Is this the one? And Jesus would teach from the Old Testament, the heart of God, bringing to light things that were previously in darkness, and some began to follow Jesus. Others, like the religious leaders of his day, started mocking Jesus or assigning to him titles that were blasphemous. As a matter of fact, it got to a point where the religious leaders had become so jealous, so frustrated with Jesus, that they actually attribute his mighty works and miracles to Satan himself and says, oh, he's from Satan, which is why he can do these things. So Jesus begins teaching in what is known as parables. And Jesus used parables to reveal and to conceal divine truth. He used parables to reveal and to conceal divine truth. Uh, If you don't know what a parable is, that's okay. It's just a practical example from daily life that carries a deep spiritual meaning. A practical example from daily life that expresses a deep spiritual meaning. And the reason why Jesus was teaching in this way was he had this saying after every parable, he would say, for those who have ears to hear, let them, let them hear. And what Jesus wasn't saying was, hey, if you're smart enough to understand, you'll get it. What Jesus was saying was, you're not going to understand this very well. Come to me and I will give you the answers. Come to me because I am the answer. And here's what's so neat about parables is Jesus embodies a parable himself. Remember? Parables are used to reveal and conceal divine truth. The more near we draw to Jesus in relationship, the more that is revealed about who He is. The further away we are from the person of Christ, the more concealed it is of who He truly is as the Son of God. And so Jesus uses these parables to reveal what life is like in the church age. And the reason why Jesus is using these parables to reveal what life is like in the church age is to help us better understand not only the ways that we are called to live, but we are also called to understand what Christ has done for us. Last week, Pastor Dave unpacked three different parables, all three of them having to do with corruption in the kingdom of God. We looked at the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the leaven, and the parable of the wheat and the tares. And all three of these parables revealed to us that even in the kingdom of God, that the enemy will sneak in, or that religion will often take the place of relationship. And it's important for us to watch out Because something that Jesus touched on over and over again throughout the Gospels was the subject of hell. And Jesus is warning us to be careful because He does not desire for us to end up in eternal judgment. And those three parables were about the corruption of the kingdom. Now today we are going to look at a different genre of parables. Kind of titled these parables, Jesus' Parables of Valued Treasure. Jesus' parables of valued treasure. 
Specifically, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. It's only three verses long, but I want to encourage you this morning, don't let the length of this passage determine the depth of what Jesus wants to speak to you. Don't let the length of this passage determine the depth of what Jesus wants to speak to you because within these three verses is something so essential, so important, so imperative for our walk with Christ that we cannot simply scratch the surface. We must go deep with what Jesus is teaching. So how many of you are ready to to dive into the Word? All right, here we go. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now I'm going to give you about 60 seconds, and whether it's on your phone or in your Bible or your neighbor's Bible, if you didn't bring one and you're not looking at it on your phone, you thought you could get away with it, I want you to reread these two parables. And I want you to think about the answers to these three questions. Who is the man or the merchant? What is the treasure or the pearl of great price? And what is the cost for these things? Who is the man or the merchant? What is the treasure or the pearl of great price, and what is the cost for these things? One minute, go ahead and reread it and answer those questions to yourself. How many of you, that was the most quiet you've had all week long? (laughs) Probably for some of us who have little kids, it is. I need your participation this morning. Are you ready? One word answers to those three questions. One word answers to those three questions. So here's the first question, nice and loud. Who is the man or merchant in this parable? Overwhelmingly, I heard us. Okay. What is the treasure or the pearl of great price from this parable? Salvation. Number three. What is the cost for this treasure? Everything. Yes! I love this! First service wasn't as compliant, but you guys are amazing. Way to go. You're all wrong. You're like, what? (laughs) No, really. If you said those answers, you're wrong. Except for number three. Uh, Here's what's amazing, just to encourage everybody. 
Um, I polled quite a few adults this week with this parable and asked them, hey, can you break down who is the man, what is the treasure, and what is the cost? And I'm not joking. Every adult gave me the wrong response. I polled my four children, 10, 8, 6, and 5, and this has nothing to do with them being my children. I asked them the same thing, and they got all the answers right. And here's what I know to be childlike in the kingdom of God is a real thing that Jesus teaches. Because you, you may be saying like, wait a minute, how could I get this wrong? Let's unpack this real quick. The merchant or this man, if it's us, and he goes and finds this treasure or this great pearl, which is salvation, what does he have to do to acquire it? He has to buy it, according to the parable. Can you buy your salvation? But that was not strong enough. We need to really hammer that one home. Can you buy your salvation? No, No, we know that. We know that. But what if the man or the merchant in this parable is Jesus? What would that make the treasure? Let's say that part louder too. What would the treasure be? Oh, it's us. Because who is the only one who could actually purchase the treasure? Oh, it's Jesus. Church family, I want to encourage you with something as we get into this parable. Myself included, especially if you've been a part of church for a long time in your life, it is easy for us to go through the motions of thinking that we already know everything and that somehow we can just skim the surface of the scriptures and have understanding. But even more specifically, when we look at the parables, the whole purpose of the parables that Jesus is teaching this way is so that people will come to him and say, Jesus, we need help understanding. And he goes, yes, you do. Now come and I will teach you for I am lowly and gentle in heart. Come to me. Bring all your burdens to me. I will lead you. This is what Jesus is doing with the crowds. This is what he's doing with his disciples. This is what he's doing with us. And the beauty of this passage is something that we don't want to miss. I had a uh, linebacker's coach. Well, I'll start with this one. Uh, How many of you shop Amazon or online? Often. No, it's okay. Raise your hands. This isn't a trick. <laughs> like, all of you stay after to talk to Pastor Dave. No. How many of you use online shopping? Look around for a second. Look around. Okay. So do I. Uh, we live in a society where literally we can just visually look at something really quick and be like, oh, I would like that. And we click and done. It's sent to our house. It's amazing. What an incredible gift. And it's how we often live our lives with Jesus. Oh yeah, I know that parable. That parable is about me giving up everything so that I can acquire salvation because I'm the person searching for... No. No. That's workspace salvation. And even though as Christians, all of us would fill out the right bubbled answer on a Scantron sheet, we don't realize how much it actually has infected the way that we think. Instead, here is the beauty. I had a linebacker coach. His name was Coach Trainer. He was an awful, mean, terrible person. He yelled at me as much as he yelled at his kids and his wife. It was a very sad circumstance. And uh, if you know football, 
There are times where the guy who has the ball doesn't get tackled all the way and there's just a big pile. Anybody seen that? Just a big pile. And my coach, and he actually talked like this, would say this, JC, don't be a pile inspector. Okay, coach. Hey, coach, what's a pile inspector? I'm glad you asked. A pile inspector was someone who would just kind of watch the pile do nothing. What he wanted was for me to go and stick my helmet in the middle of the pile and make it fall down and then get the ball in the middle. And it's what Jesus is calling us to in our own walk with him. Don't just from a distance go, oh yeah, I know God. I'm a good person. I go to church. I tithe. I don't cuss. I don't drink. I'm nice to people. Now Jesus is like, hey, I... I want you to get into the heart, into the meat of why this parable is so important for your life today, right now, for your person. So if you're taking notes this morning, write this down. Don't be a pile inspector. (laughs) Dig deep instead. Listen, the beauty of the scriptures is it's endless. It's bottomless. You can't ever go, oh yeah, I have that all figured out because it's literally the study of God. You can just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and experiencing more of the greatness of his character. There is no end. And this is what Jesus is calling us to in the parable. So let me ask you this question from Matthew chapter 44 verses 46. Who is the one who is able to purchase the treasure? It's Jesus. He's the only one who can purchase the treasure. Because he's the only one who has what is necessary to make the payment to make us his treasure. Now I think this is important because we could, uh, we literally could just go John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Have a great week. We could, we could, but we would miss out on going deep. We would miss out on understanding that Jesus gave everything to make you his treasure. Jesus gave everything to make you his treasure. What does it mean by everything? When we look at this parable... In verse 44, notice that this man is in the field and he finds this treasure and it says for joy over it. Everyone say for joy over it. That doesn't mean like, oh, I have to do this or, hey, I'm getting paid to do this. No, it means that for joy, Jesus gave everything to make you his treasure. It brought him joy. says that he sells all that he has and buys that field. And then again, in verse 46, who when he had found that one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and he bought the treasure. What does it mean that Jesus sold or that he gave everything that he had to purchase you? Someone said he died, that's good. 
emptied himself, became a man. Yes, all of these things we're going to look at today. And it's so important to go into the depths of what Jesus did. We're going to start here with some uh, verses on our screen. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14, 15, and 17. And why don't we read these nice and loud all together. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. Let's stop right there for just a moment. That means that Jesus became a man. Not that he inhabited a man. Not that he just took on a form of a man for a little bit. He became a man. And we're going to talk more about what that means as we get into this study. Continuing on. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. This is important. Something else we're going to unpack as we move forward is we were in bondage. We were enslaved. We followed a different path, and that path, was the path of the devil, of unrighteousness, of being dead in our sins. Something else we'll unpack. Verse 15. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. And then verse 17, all together, nice and loud. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. If we remember correctly from the Old Testament, the high priest was the intermediary between God and man, and yet the high priest still had to offer sacrifices for his own sin. Jesus takes the place of the high priest between the father and man, and he becomes the sacrifice so that we can be restored in relationship to our father that was broken by sin. All of these things we're going to unpack today for the purpose of looking at the high price that Jesus paid for you. The high price that Jesus paid for you. Uh, how many of you have ever been taken out to a really nice dinner before? When someone takes you out to a nice dinner and you're not paying, how do you usually order? <laughs> this will reveal a lot about you. <laughs> yeah, some, some people are like, steak and lobster combo. That, I'll take that. Other people are like, I'll have a side salad with no dressing. <laughs> Here's the beauty of what Jesus has done. It's because of the price that he's paid, it's carte blanche. He's provided everything. He's not paid the price so that you can have a salad with no croutons. He's paid the high price so that you can have the seven course meal of perfection, of eternity of what is good and lovely and right and true, this is the high price that Jesus paid for you. So in light of Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46, those parables of the valued treasure, I want you to turn to your Bibles in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 5 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, you just go to the right 
And if you're only going a few pages at a time, you'll eventually end up in Philippians. Or there's a table of contents, which you can absolutely use. And the reason why we're going to Philippians chapter 2 is because as we looked at on those verses on the screen for Hebrews chapter 2, we need to have a full understanding of the high price that Jesus paid, which involves both His divinity as God and His humanity, which He became. And Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5, starts to unpack some of this for us. We're getting the shovel in deeper. We're going in. We're not being pile inspectors. Here we go. Paul is addressing the church in Philippi. Uh, He's writing to them from prison. And there's a bit of a concern among the Philippians. There's some disunity and some discord among the church. There were definitely both Jewish and Gentile believers. There's a little bit of a riff. And that's not to say that we're not experiencing that today. Masks, no masks. Should you meet with all of these people under the tent? Should you not meet with all of these people under the tent? Republican, Democrat, you name it, we could find divisions in the church today. And yet Paul is writing to the church in Philippi to remind them to be unified in Christ Jesus. And so he writes with this in mind and says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, it doesn't specifically say what mind, so let's go back a couple of verses to verse 3. The Apostle Paul says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. If you were to summarize that in a phrase, what might you say to a six-year-old? What is Paul teaching here? Okay, selflessness. What else? Humility. Do unto others as you would want them to do to you. Put others first. All of those things are good. And Paul is saying, have a mind like Jesus. One who does nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Who comes from a humble posture for the purpose of putting others ahead of self. Now just right here in verse 5, we learn something very significant that helps us better understand the parable that Jesus is teaching in Matthew 13. In my mind, when I read that parable, here's how my sick human mind thinks. Oh, this is a good business investment. There was a dude walking in a field, and he noticed a million dollars in a treasure chest. But the for sale sign on the field was only for $100,000. So what do you think that guy did? Anything he needed to, to get the $100,000 to pay for the field. Because what does he net at the end of the day? (laughs) I love it. The math people are like, 900,000. The non-math people are like, that's a lot. That's good. There's a benefit. There's a I profit off of this. And here's the beauty of what Jesus is teaching us from this parable. He profits nothing. We profit everything. You see, the mind of Christ, the character of God, is that He puts others ahead of Himself. 
Which is why we begin to understand the high price that Jesus paid. He gained nothing from this transaction. Nothing that he needed at least. Instead it's all for what we needed the most. To be rescued from sin and death. This high price that was paid. And so we see in verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. This is important because we learn that Jesus, while he was on earth, was fully God. He was fully God. Now this is essential for us to know because 450 years of church history from the first century till about 450 A.D., and beyond, but mostly in this time period, there were huge arguments historically about the divinity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. Was he really fully divine while he was also a man? Was he really all man while he was also God in the flesh? What was going on here? And what we learn from what Paul is teaching is that he was in the form of God. Now for us, the form simply means the shape or the outer shell. But in Greek, the word is morph which talks about the essence of the being. It's something that cannot change in nature. It is forever. So that when Paul says, in the form of God, what he's saying is, Jesus was fully God. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write this down. Jesus was, is, and always will be fully God. Jesus was, is, and always will be fully God. Now, the reason why this is important, again, is that some people have believed that somehow Jesus set aside his divinity in order to become a man. But that could not be further from the truth. What he did do is that he added a human nature to his already fully divine self and lived life as both fully man and fully God. Look at verse 6 again. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Well, what does this mean? It's a bit of a confusing term. Um, this word robbery in the Greek boils down to he did not cling to this as his treasure. What was he not clinging to as his treasure? His divine privileges. Now let's just think about this for a moment. Um, If I could put this in kids terms, because that's how my brain works with four little kids. It would be like, kids, we are moving, not just going, we are moving to Disneyland. And everything is free forever. How many kids would be stoked about that? How many adults? That's your worst nightmare. Maybe. Think about Jesus. He is the second member of the Trinity. He is part of the Godhead and His person rules and reigns in heaven for eternity with all glory. All heavenly beings worship Him. They do exactly as He says. No pain, no sorrow in heaven. And yet God... Jesus was willing to condescend to earth. That's like moving from Disneyland to the worst part of the planet in order to give yourself to death for someone else. 
And the Disneyland example pales in comparison to what Christ has done. He gave up his divine privilege, not his divinity, his privilege, because that was not what he clung to for treasure. What did he pursue as his treasure? It was us. Does that blow anybody else's mind? That God loves you so much that even though we deserve death because of our sin, he left his, di- his divine privilege in heaven to come to earth to pay a high price for his treasure. And Paul continues. He says in verse 7, Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. That word in the Greek is doulos. It means slave or someone who is dedicated towards serving others for a lifetime. And coming in the likeness of men, which meant that people viewed him as a regular guy. Now this is, this is hard to fathom, so hopefully it's not just me. Is it weird to you that people actually lived with God? Um, how many of you have ever seen a celebrity or a big sports person that you really like or whatever? Anybody ever had that experience? <laughs> no, I go to church. We don't believe in celebrities. <laughs> the self-righteousness. Silly. I can remember as a kid, Taylor Knox went to Carlsbad High School, um, local professional surfer, did really well on the world tour. Um, just, I was enamored as a kid. And every time, because my dad knew Taylor, I got to see Taylor, I was like, I surfed with Taylor Knox today. I mean, like, I didn't surf, I fell off my board 40 times, but I surfed with Taylor Knox. And I would get so excited. Does it not, does it not blow your mind that God came to earth and lived among us? That people walked with Jesus. People went and sat down and listened to his teaching or received bread when he broke it into all those pieces. But they saw him as a regular guy. Isaiah tells us there was nothing special or attractive about him that would draw us to himself from an outwards perspective. He was not tall and handsome. He was not muscular. There was nothing about him that would draw our attention except that he was full of the Spirit of God And he was the Messiah. And Paul tells us that he came in the likeness of men, which simply means in every way that we are human. Jesus was human, but without sin. How is that possible? Well, remember, Jesus was born of a virgin named Mary, and he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not born with a sin nature like we are, and yet still born fully man, just as we are. And Paul says that he made himself of no reputation. The king of glory. The one in which revelation speaks that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Made himself of no reputation. What a high price he paid to leave heaven. To come to earth. Paul continues in verse 8. He says this about Jesus. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. 
What does it mean that Jesus humbled himself? He's God. He's the king of glory. Did he need to humble himself? No, but we go back to the parable. And with all joy, he did what? He humbled himself. And here are just a few ways that he humbled himself. He was born as a baby. This is hard for me to fathom. And part of the incarnation, God in the flesh. How is the, the full divine person of God in a tiny little baby? Have you ever seen a little baby? You don't have to stand up, Rebecca, but she literally has like a three-week-old back there. How could, be, how could God be fully contained? That's the beauty of what Jesus paid to purchase his treasure. Is he became fully man in mind and body. Jesus was fully man in mind and body in every way. He entered into humanity so that we could relate to him and he could relate to us. The second Adam, the better Adam. If you don't know who Adam is, we go back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3. Everything is perfect until Adam sins. And it's Adam's sin that brings death to all people. And because it was a human being that brought death to all mankind, it must be a human being, someone who is fully man, who pays that penalty. But only one who is perfect could pay that penalty. And alas, you and me, not perfect. We couldn't do it. Jesus was fully man in both mind and body. Jesus humbled himself in growing up like us. He experienced growing pains. He fell down. He got sick. He experienced sorrow when his earthly father Joseph died. He was made fun of by his brothers. He experienced the emotions that we do. Jesus humbled himself by allowing earthly parents to have authority over him. What an awkward situation! Joseph's like, hey, Jesus, don't do that. And Jesus is like, actually, Dad. (laughs) Except Jesus wouldn't have done that because he humbled himself to his parents' authority. Jesus was willing and humbled himself to live an unnoticed life for 30 years. So unnoticed that we know from the scriptures that someone says, wait a minute. And we'll actually see it in in next week's passage. Uh, Isn't this Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. Who does he think he is? Jesus humbled himself to the point of being allowed to have that kind of reputation, which was no reputation at all. Jesus humbled himself by calling 12 disciples and bearing with them. This is one of the most amazing things I think Jesus did. And here's what I love. Jesus calls 12 guys. He used to be in heaven with cherubim and seraphim and the elders casting their crowns before him. And he ends up with Peter, James, John, Bartholomew. I mean, rough exchange. And yet he humbles himself to have both compassion and patience and love. 
for these men. Jesus humbles himself to be willing for people not to recognize who he is as the king of glory and yet to still pursue them with love and patience. Jesus humbles himself to be ridiculed and mocked by the religious leaders of the day. And instead of striking them with lightning or casting them into eternal judgment right away, he continues to pursue them by teaching them the heart of God from the very scriptures that they knew but did not understand. Jesus humbles himself by being willing to be betrayed by the very one that he called in Judas. Jesus humbles himself by being willing to put being put on unfair trials that accused him of things that he was not guilty of. Jesus humbles himself as we see Paul mentioned in verse 8. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Why would Jesus do this? Why would the Son of God deserving of all glory and sitting on the throne of heaven, why would he abase himself and condescend so low as to experience all that he did? Well, according to Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46, he was after a treasure. And that treasure had no value in and of itself except for the value that God assigned to it. I love this part of what Jesus is teaching us in this parable. We often have two different viewpoints of ourselves. We are either worthless, and that's how we view ourselves, for whatever reason, or we have worth because of the things we do, or because of the things that we have been told by others, or because of our past, or because of our education, or because of our bank account, or because of our looks, whatever it is, this is often how we view ourselves, and that's where our worth comes from. And what Jesus is teaching us is, hey, your worth doesn't come from either of those. You're not worth less, and you're not worth anything because of all the other things people have told you or you've acquired in your own life. You have tremendous value because I give it to you because I paid a high price. It's the high price that makes us valuable. It's the high price that tells us, oh, you are worth more than you know. Could you imagine you inherit a house from somebody and it's in shambles and you take it to the appraiser and they tell you it's worth $100,000. And so you take it to another appraiser and he says, no, it's worth a hundred million dollars. Which appraiser are you going to go with? (laughs) I don't, I got to think about this. It might be a trick. (laughs) Yeah, you would go with the hundred million dollar appraisal. This is the difference between what the world says you're worth versus what Christ says you're worth. You are that hundred million dollars. And I'm only using uh, dollars because I, it's, what we, it's what our currency is. You're worth so much more than that. It's why Jesus paid the high price. But it's the high price he paid that gives us our value 
and worth. So the question is, why would he do this? Why? And here's the reason. When we go back to Genesis chapter 3, and man sins, and all mankind is now born with a sin nature, and our default destination is hell. We are now in bondage to sin and death and Satan. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul says, We were all dead in our trespasses and our sins, and we used to follow the passionate desires of our heart, following the prince of the power of the air, who is the devil. We were in bondage to Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says that the God of this world, small g, by the way, talking about Satan, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of many. John chapter 12, verse 31. Satan is called the ruler of this world. Well, how can that be? Isn't God sovereign? Absolutely. He is always sovereign, and that never changes. And yet, Satan has temporary authority to be the ruler of this age, to be the ruler of this world. We see this even played out in Jesus' own life. After Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist, it says that the Spirit descends from heaven onto Jesus, and we hear the voice of the Father say, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. The affirmation of God the Father saying that this is the fully divine and fully man's Son. Jesus goes out into the wilderness and for 40 days and 40 nights he fasts. He's hungry. He's tired. All the things that we can experience as human beings, he would have been at the brink of starvation after 40 days with no food. Try going 40 hours with no food. Imagine 40 days. And Satan comes to Jesus and he begins to tempt him. Now Jesus... The Son of God in His full divinity, God cannot be tempted, and yet we know that Jesus is also fully man. And Satan tempts Jesus three times, and on the final temptation, he takes Jesus to a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And I fully believe it wasn't just the kingdoms of that age. I believe Satan was showing Jesus all the kingdoms, past, present, and future of this world. And he says to Jesus... Bow down and worship me, and I will give all these to you. Satan is the ruler of this world, and man is in bondage to Satan. Jesus came to set us free. Man is in bondage to Satan. Jesus came to set us free. This answers the why. Why did Jesus condescend? Why did he humble himself so much, even to the point of death on the cross? It was because we needed a rescuer. We needed to be redeemed. And the price that needed to be paid, we could never pay it. And so Jesus came from heaven to earth. You still with me this morning? Here's what I love as we go back to this parable in Matthew 13. These two parables in Matthew 13. Jesus didn't do this out of selfish ambition or conceit. 
he did this. He paid the high price so that we could be his treasure. Jesus paid this payment. And the payment was that he sacrificed his divine privilege and his human life. The payment is Jesus sacrificed his divine privilege and his human life for you. That's how much God loves you. Now, real quick, what if we had just stopped at John 3.16? Would we have been theologically correct? Yes, we would have. Would we have gotten into the depths of what God has done for us? Not as much. Not as much. When we put the shovel in deep, we begin to better understand this high price that Jesus paid for his treasure. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. We'll read it on the screens together, nice and loud. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. That's Adam. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose value. It was paid with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. There is no monetary value to what Jesus paid for. It could only have been bought with his own blood. Listen, church family. I don't know where some of you are coming from. I don't know what's going on in your lives. But it's a safe bet to say that within a recent time period, if not now, you have felt unloved or without value or without purpose or worthless or like no one cares or like you're not seen or like you're not good enough or whatever it is within the last week probably. Even if it's just our own thoughts lying to us and not someone actually speaking those words with our mouth, all of us have an understanding of what that feels like. And the temptation with this passage is simply just to focus on the fact that we're his treasure, which is so true, but we miss the point if that's the case. The focus that helps us, even with the practical nature of all those lies I just mentioned, when we are feeling those things or we're told those things, our eyes are often where? They're just on ourselves. They're just on ourselves. But the whole purpose of Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46, is not just to remind us of what a great treasure we are in Christ, which is true, but is to point our eyes back to Jesus, the one who gave everything to pay a high price for us. And he didn't do it reluctantly. He didn't do it because he had to. What does the parable tell us? He did it with with joy. With joy. Uh, How many of you have tried to make your kids do chores before? (laughs) Wouldn't life be way easier if your kids did their chores with with joy? Hey, mom. Hey, dad. I can't wait to do the dishes. How many of you would fall over backwards if that happened? Yeah, we would. How many of us consider deeply the high price that Jesus paid with joy for you? Might I encourage you that our value is found in the finished work of Christ? 
Our value is found in the finished work of Christ. It's not in what you could do. I know that a lot of times when Pastor Dave and I stand up here, we do talk about things that need to be done in our lives. Because we're called to that in Scripture. We're called to be transformed people. We're called to a different life. We're called to walk a path of obedience. But in this passage specifically, the whole purpose of what Jesus is teaching is, do you know how much I love you? Look at how much I paid for you. Meditate on that. Rest in that. Nothing needs to be done. You can literally just sleep in the arms of the finished work of Christ. Already gives you all the value that you need. Not by works of righteousness. Or anything we've done. Not that we should boast. But it is a gift of God. This is the gift. That a high price was paid for you. And that you are his precious treasure. Let's pray. Lord, what an incredible use of three verses. And oh, how easily, how foolish I can be to just glaze over the scripture thinking that I know what you talk about sometimes. And yet there you are patiently inviting us in to go deeper. To understand more of the fullness of of the high price that you paid and how you gave everything to make us your treasure. We need that reminder. We need that understanding. And so Lord, for those who are here that already follow you, would they be reminded of their tremendous value, but may their eyes not be on their own worth, but instead focused on the one who paid the high price, who is Jesus the Savior, the Redeemer, the Rescuer, who out of joy gave everything so that we could be part of your family. For those of you who may be here today that are not followers of Jesus, who are just flatly wandering and floundering in life, knowing that there's something more but not being able to put your finger on it, here is... The message that God has for you today. You were bought with a high price. You could be his treasure. And it's all in the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross. His death and his resurrection. Nothing that you must do. Be encouraged. Your life has value. You are loved more than we can imagine. Jesus, thank you for teaching us. Thank you for taking the time to come to earth to give us parables. As we worship you this morning, as we sing this last song, may it not just be because it's what we do at the end of every service. But may we actually sing from a place of better understanding the high price that you paid. So that as we give you praise and glory and honor with our voices, it would be just a small token 
of us saying thank you. So God, we lift our voices together now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.